Take your Bibles with me, if you would, and open them back to that glorious book, the book of Luke. Back to chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke. And we will primarily be in verses 20 through 26, although we will begin reading in verse 17. Now, the goal this morning for this passage, I believe, and for this uh, sermon, this message, is that uh, really a twofold purpose. One, that you would be encouraged in your sufferings as a Christian. If you are standing for the gospel against the grain of your family or the world or whatever you want to fill that blank in, that you would be encouraged in your sufferings and in your hardships. But secondly, the goal is, my prayer is, my hope is that you would maybe be convicted and give up a life that is lived for yourself and adopt a life that's lived for Christ. And that we would all be encouraged in that pursuit. That, that's Christian maturity, right? If we've achieved that, then we're probably in heaven. But that we would all take that to heart and increasingly so, give up a life for self and live a life for Christ. And a life in service to Christ regardless of what that means, what, what the consequences may be, the hardships or difficulties may be in that pursuit of such a life. Now let me begin now by asking you a couple of questions that I think will get you thinking or at least set your heart and mind in the right direction. The first question being this, what do you expect out of life? If you have to answer that honestly in your own heart, what would your answer be? What do you expect out of this life that you're living? What do you expect to experience in this life that you're living? Here and, and now, in space and in time and in this creation. Let's maybe be a little bit more specific and let me ask this question. What exactly are you living for? What are you living your life for? What are you spending your life for and giving your energy to and your resources to and, and your time to? Or maybe a, a simpler way to ask it is what is your life goal? If you had a goal set before you so that you could stand at the end of your life and look back and say, my life was a success, what would that goal be? What are those achievements that you want to have at the end of your life? Now the truth is, and it's no, no secret to us, that the answers to those questions are profoundly different from person to person, aren't they? We could interview and take a survey of just anybody, the average American to today on the streets, and the answers to those questions would be widely different. They would range from a variety of topics and things and expectations and come from a variety of different spectrums. And yet, I think, if we ask them what their goals were, although their expectations may be different of this life, their goals, I think, would be strangely familiar to one another. It's common in humanity and in our heart's desire that we want peace, right? We want a life of happiness. We would like to have a life that's full of success. We want a life that maybe has influence over people or a life of fame. And we can fill in that, that blank with whatever we want, right? There's a lot of people and we sometimes ourselves get sucked into that mentality of pursuing such temporary matters. Pursuing such things as fame and influence. That's the common thread of humanity. We want a good, long life full of blessings and pleasure. That would be the familiar goals and answers of the average person if we ask those questions. But now let's change it just a little bit. What if we ask these questions specifically of Christians? We could gather together professing believers all into one place and ask the questions, what do you expect out of life? What do you expect to experience? What are you living for? What is your life goals? What would Christians say? And maybe more pointedly, would the answers be very different from those who profess to belong to Christ and those who are unbelievers living in the world? Would our expectations be different? Would our goals be different? Would our pursuits 
be different? Would there be a distinction among us? Or would we tragically find that the church is stuck pursuing the same things as unbelievers? Wouldn't that be a tragedy? For the one institution and the one group of people who are set apart and belong to God and redeemed by God and are instituted by God are actually found to be pursuing the same things as the world. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if the world was set next to the church and there would be hardly any difference between the two? Between the expectations, between the pursuits, between the drives and the motivations? How tragic would that be? It would be detrimental. I wonder if we were being honest and laying our hearts bare, would the church reveal that it has an eternal kingdom focus or that it actually has a worldly focus like everybody else? And truth be told, if we were being honest with ourselves and if we were going to be honest with the Lord, we would probably admit that there is at least some real fear in our hearts that our answers may not be that different from the answers of the world and what we expect and want and desire and pursue after. That's simply the the truth of the matter. If we looked and surveyed those who are professing Christians, I'm afraid that we would find out that most who attend church have virtually no different goals than those who are in the world. And that those who regularly attend church virtually have no different desires than those who are in the world. That those who are faithful have virtually no different world views in general than those who are of the world. And yet the truth is made plain in Scripture, isn't it? As followers of Christ, our view of the life that we have been given is to be drastically different from the person who is an unbeliever in the world, right? Would you or would you not agree with that statement that as a person redeemed by Christ with a heart that's changed and delivered out of the dominion of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the Son of God, shouldn't our desires be drastically different and our pursuits be drastically different and our experiences be drastically different and our goals and what satisfies us and what we spend our time and our resources and give ourselves to? Shouldn't those things be worlds apart from the people of the world? Yeah, they they should be. Scripture makes that very clear. We ought to have different desires and goals and pursuits. We ought to be different from the world that we live in. As difficult as that may be, that is the calling placed upon the Christian. That you don't expect the same life that the world says you should expect. That you don't give yourself to the same things that those who are of the world give themselves to. In fact, for the Christian, instead of pursuing the gains of self, aren't we found pursuing the glory of God? In fact, we're willing to give ourselves in the gains of self for the glory of God, or we should be. Instead of focusing on temporary matters and our temporary lives here on earth like the rest of the world, shouldn't we be focused upon eternity? And our life to come in that far better country and our true home where our real citizenship is at? Yes, yes, we should be focused there. How about this? Instead of giving our lives for our own pleasure, shouldn't we give our lives for the spread of the Gospel? Yeah, we should. That's the difference between a life that indulges in itself and a life that is lived for Christ. Because of those reasons, because of those even fundamental foundational differences that we want to live for the glory of God not for the glory of self, that we want to give ourselves for the Gospel and not for our own pursuits of pleasure, just at the very basic foundation of those differences, we should expect that the life of the believer and the life of those who are of the world are actually totally opposite. and should be lived in such a way. Because the two of us are given over to different pursuits in this life. In fact, wouldn't we say 
But the life of the believer and the life of the unbeliever or the life of the Christian and the church and the desires of the world are actually even opposed to one another, aren't they? The longer you grow in your Christian maturity and are exposed to Scripture and walk with the Lord, you will often find that the desires and pursuits of God are opposed to those of the world. That's sin. That's the separation. And so that's that's what we should find of ourselves. That we are not just opposite and not just different, but even sometimes plainly opposed to the pursuits and direction of the world around us. That means we are different. Christ explains that all through the Gospels. The way of God is different. The way of the light is different from darkness. The followers of God are going to be different from the followers of the world or the followers of the enemy or the followers of the evil one, however you want to explain it. And I think that's what he's getting at here in Luke chapter 6, at least in part. That the life of the one who follows Christ should be different than the life of the one who follows self. And that blessing comes to those who forsake all and endure all for Christ and not to those whom the world says get blessing. That's what we're looking at in Luke chapter 6. This blessing, this pursuit of of what Christ deems as the life that is worth living, the life that is good to live, in contrast and in beautiful contrast to what the world says is a life that's worth living and a life that's uh, going to earn blessing and, and happiness and fulfillment. Christ says those, those two definitions are totally opposite. What I think is good and what the world thinks is good are completely opposed. Christ says the life that's lived in abandonment for the Gospel is the life that is good and blessed and satisfying. Not the life that's pursuing pleasure, temporary worldly pleasure and satisfaction and comfort. And that's definitely to be expected, I think. Because the blessing that we know, the blessed life is a life that follows Christ and Christ calls us to different expectations in this life, right? Christ says, deny yourself. Christ says, you, you have to love me more than you love your family, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. Christ says, you have to renounce all if you're going to follow me. Christ says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The calling upon our lives once we come to Christ is different. And with callings like this, the Christian life is to be lived different. Lived in self-denial and gospel-focused. Lived for others and not for self. And in According to today's passage, I think lived in difficulty and not in ease. It's not an easy life that we're called to right. In fact, it's a life that will produce difficulty. It's a life that produces hardship. If you're going to stand with God and against the world, it's a life that will experience rejection. It is not an easy life. Denying self, fighting sin, standing for Christ is not always easy, but according to Jesus, it is always worth it. In fact, it's a life that, if we're going to be honest, church, it's a life that's costly, isn't it? And yet Jesus says, it's the life that's rewarding. If you will take your lot up with Me, and if you will stand with Christ and renounce the evils of the world, it may cost you. It may be difficult. It may be a lifelong battle. But Jesus says it's rewarding. It's worth it. And it's blessed. It's the life to live versus the life of the world. Christ knows that we need to be encouraged in this kind of living. He knows that if we will stand with Him. He's promised that to His disciples and He's promised that to us that if we stand with God, we are to expect persecution. We are to expect such difficulties and hardships. So here's the encouragement that He's going to lay out for His believers, for His disciples in Luke chapter 6. He knows that if you're going to be light in darkness and if you're going to live faithfully for God and go against the grains of society, you need to be strengthened in doing so. And so we will see 
how Christ strengthens us in Luke chapter 6. Start with me in verse 17 and we will read to verse 26. Christ has just called His twelve apostles out from the rest of His disciples after praying all night on the mountain. And in verse 17, Luke says, He came down with them from that mountain and stood on a level place with a great crowd of His disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch Him, for power came out from Him and healed them all. Verse 20, And He lifted up His eyes on His disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. In fact, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The first thing we want to look at this morning is the life that's lived for Christ. Verses 20 through 23. The life that follows after Christ. And Jesus is giving here some of the most countercultural truths in the gospel. These are so backwards to human thought. And he begins by telling us that this life, this life of difficulty, is actually the blessed life that's contrary to worldly thinking that's actually striking to our hearts it's not those who are wealthy or influential or famous who have the blessed life in God's eyes Jesus says it's those who are poor hungry broken and hated that that's so backwards to what the world thinks what we even think and yet Jesus says this is this is the life this is the blessed life this is those who are blessed poor hungry broken and Hated. Those things, church, those things describe the Christian life, don't they? You ask a persecuted church in another part of the world today and they would say, I can identify with all four of those things. Poor, hungry, broken, and hated. This is what it means to stand for Christ in a world that hates the light. This is what it means to go against the grains of society when the world says, forsake morality and define your own morality and indulge in immorality and the Christian says I'm going to follow God's law this is the result you'll you'll be poor you'll be hungry you'll be broken you'll be hated these four things describe Christianity describe the life that we're living let's clarify them just for a moment Christ is not saying that you're blessed simply for being poor simply because you have no money or or possessions Christ is saying you're blessed because you're willing to lose all for the sake of Christ he's not saying that you're blessed simply because you're hungry we all get hungry in about 30 minutes we're going to be hungry again and he's not saying you're blessed simply because you're physically hungry he says you're blessed because you're giving everything away and because you're in need and you're dependent upon God and you're willing to give things up for him and he says, you're not blessed simply because you're crying, because you weep, because you mourn, because you're broken. You're blessed because you weep and you wrestle with sin. And you're blessed because you're putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And you're blessed because you are wrestling with that very difficult task of denying yourself and your desires and indulgences and your flesh and your own hearts. And you're not just blessed because someone hates you. 
You're blessed because you're hated and you're persecuted on account of Christ. Christ's sake. That's what he's getting at. That's, that's what he's pointing out here in Luke chapter 6. The truth is, church, that to follow Christ means you may be poor in the world's eyes. You may be in need and not have much worldly possessions in this life. You may be broken and you may spend a whole lifetime here on this earth fighting against sin and the desires of your flesh and you actually may be hated by the people around you and next to you, but Christ says it is worth it. In short, He's saying to follow after Me means you may be rejected and you may endure difficulty from the unbelieving world, yet that is the life that honors Me, that I find pleasure in, that I delight in, when you're willing to give up everything for Me. That's why these four statements are, I believe, encouragement and fuel for us when we are in difficulty for the sake of Christ. When we're found in suffering situations and when we make godly decisions that are difficult and put us in dire circumstances, and we think to ourselves and we're tempted to think it would have been better if I'd have just gone the way of the world, Christ says, take heart, take courage, be strengthened, blessed to give up your life for me. Blessed to give up your life for the sake of the gospel. How I, how I yearn for us to have that understanding. How I yearn for that to take deep abiding root in my own heart. That it is blessed and it is better to deny myself of some worldly pleasure for the sake of someone hearing of the gospel. Give up my time and my resources and my energy and my comforts for the sake of Christ. Live the few short years that I have for the glory of God. Oh, wouldn't that wouldn't that define a healthy church? Yes, yes it would. Wouldn't that define Christian maturity and wouldn't that be beautiful in the eyes of God? Yes it yes it would to know that we live such a temporary life and we're willing to lay aside all the temporary pleasures for the glory of God, knowing our eternal home with Him and all the pleasures and treasures that come along with that. This passage of encouragement, let me tell you, it is for those who live contrary to the world around them. Those who are living counter-cultural. Those who are willing to live for Jesus. Because when you do live for Jesus, as I have said, you will be hated by the world. When you are divinely different. When the world wants no part of you, Christ says you're blessed. When you're holy and you're set apart and you're not willing to watch the movies that they watch or listen to the jokes that they tell or let the majority of society define your morality, then you'll be the minority, you'll be rejected, and you'll be blessed. Backwards to what we think i want you to imagine with me if you will just for a moment maybe the importance or the weight of these words to those who are suffering on behalf of christ let's let's put ourselves in paul's shoes and paul is in prison for preaching the gospel and he's being beaten and he's being rejected and yet he remembers blessed are you when people hate you on account of christ say Paul's in prison. He doesn't get to see his family. He doesn't get to see his friends. And he is mocked and ridiculed. And his circumstances are so dire that he's broken over them. He's weeping over them. And he remembers Christ's words. Blessed are those who weep now because they're going to laugh. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, we despaired of life itself. I was so internally broken. My circumstances, my situations were so dire. I was willing to go home and be with the Lord and leave this life behind. Things were so difficult. And yet he remembers, blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are enduring such difficulty. As he's sitting in prison and he's eating stale bread and drinking stagnant water, 
And he's in great need, abundant need. Blessed are those who are hungry now. They're going to be satisfied in the future. As he's lost everything for Christ. And he's kicked out of town after town after town and rejected and rejected and has nothing but the clothes on his back. Blessed are those who are poor. Theirs is the kingdom of God. We can start plugging people into that scenario. We can talk about John who's exiled on the island of Patmos, right? These words would have been encouragement to him. Talking about Peter who's on the way to be crucified upside down for the Lord. These words would have been encouragement to him. We can think about William Tyndale who's in England translating the Bible into English, betrayed by a friend and burned at the stake. And he can remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are hated on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice, the reward is great in heaven. These, these words are encouragement to us, church. They're strength for us to live a life that's contrary to the culture around us and live a life that's sold out completely for Christ and the Gospel. How do we do that? We look at the strength. We find the encouragement in Christ. Can you imagine if you are with our brothers and sisters who today are in parts of the world persecuted and in prison and denied jobs and reduced to poverty and they are seeing their family suffering and they are rejected simply because they follow Christ and they're not a Muslim or a Hindu or an atheist or whatever. What do you think these words mean to those people? These words are confidence. They're concrete. They're foundation. I briefly want to consider each four of these identifiers that Christ lists here. Just for clarification's sake. He says, blessed are those who are poor. And again, He doesn't just mean material poverty. He doesn't just mean that you're lacking possession or that your neighbor has a nice car and you don't. He's getting at those who are willing to lose everything for Christ and he's getting at those who are refused opportunities for Christ. You're denied something. You're denied a job. You're denied anything for the sake of Christ. He says, blessed are you. There are places today where it will cost you to identify with Jesus. I remember reading a story about, I don't know, six or seven years ago of a man who was in a country in the Middle East and the government raided his home because they suspected he was a Christian and hauled him off to prison and they found on his laptop a video of his baptism in Turkey where he professed his faith in Christ. He had to go to another country to be baptized. And he came back to try to reach his family and his friends with the message of the Gospel. The government heard of it and they imprisoned him, stripped him of all of his property, eventually kicked him out of the country. These words are life for him. Blessed are you when everything's taken away from you for the sake of Christ, because yours is the kingdom of God. As, as Christians, we can endure the loss that's here in this life. We can endure everything being taken away from us, right? It doesn't deter us from trusting in Jesus because ours is the kingdom of God with more splendor and more majesty and more glory than this world will ever know. We belong with Christ. Our treasure is Christ. I thought of a verse in Hebrews chapter 13. Beautiful couple of verses. 13 verses 5 and 6. For those of you who struggle with letting go of your bank account or your money or your possessions, who are struggling with the thought of losing everything on account of Christ, listen to what the author in Hebrews 13.5 says. He says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Don't let money rule over you and don't neglect the blessings that God has given you. Be content with what you have. And this is His reasoning. For Christ has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How do you let go of money and how are you content with what you have and how are you willing to lose everything for the sake of Christ? It's remembering that Christ has said Himself, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
He's the greatest treasure. He's the better gem, isn't He? Verse 6 of Hebrews 13, the author says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There may come a time where we live in Weatherford, Oklahoma, and we are threatened with the denial of this or that, or threatened with the confiscation of this or that, simply for trusting in Christ and standing for the truth of the Gospel. And we are reminded... Don't let that deter you. Be content with what you have because Christ is with you. And when Christ is with you and He's your helper, what can man do to you? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are robbed of what they have for the sake of Christ because theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is Christ Himself and that for eternity. He says, blessed are those who are hungry. And this is closely associated with poor. Again, it's not an actual physical kind of hungry. It's more of those who are in need. Blessed are those who are in need. Who have everything taken away and are finding themselves in need. The difference being that blessed are those who are poor or those who lose something for Christ. Blessed are those who are hungry or those who have already lost something for Christ. Jesus says, count yourself blessed. Because sometimes, contrary to popular teaching, Christians will find themselves in a state of want. And in, a, in an extreme state of dependence upon God and Christ says be encouraged when you are there when you've given everything for the sake of the gospel and the glory of Christ when you are in over your head and you have given up all your all your possessions and all your energy for the sake of someone hearing the truth of Christ and you are in desperate and abundant need blessed are you Christ says because you will be satisfied with Riches beyond measure, with glory beyond measure, with satisfaction beyond measure. And that's totally the heart of God. That the hungry shall be filled and the rich shall be sent away empty. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 53. Mary's magnificent. God takes care of those who are reduced to nothing for His sake. Let's continue moving on here. Blessed are you when you weep now. I take that in two primary ways. One, when you're weeping over the hurt of loss or need. And two, when you're broken and weeping over the constant battle that you have with sin. This is one of the many differences between a Christian and those who are of the world, right? The Christian will constantly fight a battle that the world does not know. You and I have to fight a battle once our hearts have been regenerated and given over to Christ. We fight a battle of self-denial and a battle against our own sinful flesh. And we may do that for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. We fight a battle the world doesn't know. And if you walk with Christ and if you know Christ and you know the seriousness of your sin, you would admit as well there are times when I am broken over the battle of my sin. The battle with myself. Christ says, blessed are you when you weep over such things. When you war against your self-indulgences. But also, the Christian will have pain that the world doesn't know, right? The pain of a child rejecting God. The world does not know that. And the Christian weeps over such things. What about a child rejecting you as their parent because you believe in God? The world doesn't know a pain like that. And too many believers know pain like that. What about the pain of your family being in need or your family being in want for the sake of Christ? When you make a decision to honor God with your life and your family has to pay the consequences of it. Christ says, blessed are you who weep, who are broken over such situations. Be encouraged because you will laugh. You will one day dwell in an eternal home of unending joy with Jesus. Endure the weeping and fight the battle against sin and pay the consequences for standing with Christ and let your family endure those hardships as difficult as it may be because one day you will laugh together in glory. You will celebrate and you will rejoice with Christ. 
for living a life that honored Him. Lastly, he says here real quickly, blessed are you when you're hated for Christ. Let's sum it up that way. When you're hated for Christ. I thought of Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. A disciple is never above his teacher nor a servant above his master. If they persecute Christ, they're going to persecute us, right? Jesus says, get ready, be expectant of that. If you're going to live a life that honors God and is contrary to the world, you're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. And that's seen throughout all the Gospels and throughout Acts and the rest of the New Testament. They hated the light of Christ, so they hate us who shine for Christ. And the truth is, when the darkness of the world is exposed by the light of Christ, they will always and often retaliate. And sometimes, the Christian will lose friends. Sometimes, the Christian will lose family members. Sometimes the Christian will lose opportunities all because you trust in Christ, submit to His Lordship, and do not bend to the world's will. Jesus says actually, verse 23, you should not only consider yourself blessed, you should rejoice in that day. You should leap for joy. Because when you so reflect Christ that the world hates you, your reward is great in heaven. What a privilege and what an honor for us if we can change the way we think about things to see that when we're persecuted for resembling Christ, how good and great of a blessing it is that we resemble Christ at all. What a testimony of His grace in our lives and His work in our hearts and the sanctification and removal of sin and and conforming us into His Image, that should be the greatest desire of our hearts as Christians. That's what Christ is getting at with these four things. And these these things are so contrary to the world, I don't think you could ever approach somebody on the street and ask them, what's the avenue of blessing? And they would list any of these four things. And yet Christ says, these are the four things that matter. These are the, this is the lifestyle that I, I see as worth living. Worth rewarding. Just a quick observation, if we can step back from the verses real quickly. I want to ask you what, do you, what do you notice about them? What's encouraging about them? What is motivating about them? What's strengthening about them? What's comforting about them? The truth is that the real blessing for the believer is not here and now, but it's in heaven with Christ, isn't it? And that's what Jesus uses as the foundation and the motivation and the the comforting here in these passages. That this life is temporary and we look to a different kind of eternity. So don't pursue the things of the world because they will, as we're going to see, only leave you empty and hollow. Live a life for Christ because in the future, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to laugh. Your reward is going to be great. You get the kingdom of God. All of these things are future things for us. You get Christ, essentially. And really, what is 40 years of suffering compared to eternity with Jesus? What is 40 years of being rejected? And what is 40 years of taking the hard path, the narrow path? What is 40 years of going against the grain of the society around us and saying, I'm not going to let you define me. I'm going to let Scripture define me. I'm not going to follow your ways. I'm going to follow the ways of God. What is 40 years of enduring those difficulties compared with eternity with Jesus? There is no comparison at all. None whatsoever. A Christian who knows and walks with Christ can endure the hardships and spend their lives for the sake of the Gospel because they know all the difficulties and all the hardships in this life is only but a vapor. It is temporary and we will soon be with Christ and great is your reward in heaven. Let's move quickly to the next set. That's the life that follows Christ. These last few verses are the life that follows the world. And Jesus is so beautifully contrasting the two here. He's allowing them to grind against each other, so to speak. And He takes the four blessings and now He pronounces four woes that are the exact opposite of the blessings. It's such a masterful way to teach. 
And what he's getting at really is that the truth is those who think they have it all together with Christ are actually without Christ are actually not having anything together. They're they're blinded by pride and sin. They're being deceived. In fact, these are the four things that the world says you you would find happiness in. These are the four things the world says that you should pursue after, that you will find fulfillment in. So let's look at them. Verse 24, Woe to you who are rich. Isn't the world all about selfish gain? Isn't the world all about gaining material possessions? At every corner, every day, you and I are bombarded with those kinds of thoughts. We're bombarded with those kinds of truths. You will spend the rest of your life hearing from the world that satisfaction comes in wealth. That ease of life comes in wealth. That pleasure and fulfillment and blessings come from wealth. And what is tragic is that millions of people give their lives in pursuit of money. Don't they? Millions of people are going to be at the end of their days, looking back and see that they've wasted their entire lives pursuing a wealth that matters for nothing. And millions more in high school and middle school and college and on and on today are being deceived into that same kind of thinking. kind of thinking's even crept into the church, hasn't it? We're tempted ourselves to follow suit with such thinking. We're prone to forget about God and pursue after money because that's the measure of stature in our society. The truth is the world would rather gain a dollar and hoard their wealth than serve God. And I fear we may be guilty at times of that as well. Christ pronounces a woe on such mentality, on such lifestyles, and such pursuit. He says, you've got your reward. You've received your consolation. Those who pursue wealth and money over me and those who live their lives in such pursuit of such things instead of living their life for me will have their reward. And, and you want to know what it is? It's a stack of paper with people's faces on it. And in eternity, they will be broke. They will be poor. They will have no such riches and no such blessings. He goes on, verse 25, Woe to you who are full now. Those who have no wants who hoard everything to themselves, who spend their lives in the pursuit of stuff and possessions and seek fulfillment in their stuff, never denying themselves, never having any concern for anyone else, Christ says, woe to you. You may be full now. There's coming a day when you're going to be hungry. Let me pause and kind of step back for a minute here and say, how many people do we know who are entrapped in such thinking and such lifestyles? Church, I hope you have a heart and compassion and sensitivity for the lost because you're going to walk out of these doors this morning and you will face an entire community of thousands of people who are pursuing these things right here led away as slaves by the lies of the enemy to think riches and junk will fulfill them and satisfy them and give them meaning in life and pleasure in life and hope in life. And they are being deceived down a path that will only lead in misery, right? And in dire need and in desperation. I have people in my own family who buy into the lie of riches and material possessions and totally miss out on Christ. And if they don't turn to Jesus for salvation, they will be found with the greatest need ever imaginable when they enter into eternity without Jesus and there will be nothing to quench that need and meet that need. Christ says, woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who care nothing for the battle with sin. Woe to you who indulge in your selfishness and your selfish pursuit of happiness. And that is the mantra of the world, isn't it? Whatever makes you happy, do it. That's what you should be doing. That's what you should chase after. Forget 
the consequences. Have no regard for God's word, God's law, or anybody around you. Whatever makes you happy, do it. And Jesus says those people will mourn and weep. There's coming a day when their laughing will be no more and their eternity will be spent in mourning. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Christ says at the end, verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Woe to you when you are loved. And we're not talking just about likability. Talking about woe to you who pursue after popularity and fame and influence and power instead of Christ. Woe to you who are willing to do whatever it, whatever it takes to be popular in the world. Because you're going to be found standing with the false prophets. You're going to be found standing on the side of the false teachers. You're going to be found standing on the side of the world. And friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world is an enemy of God. James chapter 4, verse 4. Such countercultural statements by Christ, right? Those are the things that we grow up thinking are good and worthy things to pursue after, right? We're, we're trained from childhood to pursue the American dream and gain as much wealth as you can and have as much stuff as you can, nice and new and pretty and shiny stuff and do whatever makes you happy. Who cares about the consequences? And seek all the popularity you can get over your morality. Sacrifice your integrity and your character to be well thought of and liked and loved and all that stuff. Christ says that's such a waste of a life. That's such a worldly focus and that will get you nothing in eternity. That offers you hollowness and emptiness. How many of the people we know are deceived into such thinking? You, you think you have blessing now, but you're entering into an eternity of woe and terror and torment. The sad truth is that those who only focus on this life now are most likely to miss the life to come. I want to step back just in wrapping this up and think as we can kind of maybe step back from these verses and, and see if we can sum them up together and bring them together. What's the main difference here? And I think and would argue the main difference between a life that's described in verses 20 and 23 and a life described in verses 24, 25, and 26 is a kingdom focus versus a worldly focus. Are you focused on Christ and eternity and the glory of God and the gospel? Or are you focused on yourself and your own pursuits and your own wants? And that is the great battle we all face for the rest of our lives. Moment by moment, day after day, you have to make those decisions, conscious or not, am I living for Christ or living for self? Am I pursuing Jesus or pursuing my wants? That's what it comes down to. And that's why we ask you, church, to, to do things. That's why we ask you to give of yourself and give of your time. That's why we ask you to go to Denver. Why don't you consider giving up a week of your time and maybe some of your resources and, and your energy and your efforts so the gospel can be taken to unbelievers in Denver? That's why we ask you to consider teaching Sunday school. Right? Because this life isn't about you and we've got so many children that we can invest in with the Gospel and the Word of God. That's why we ask you to, to be here to worship God. Because this life isn't about you. It's about Christ and glorifying Him and living for Him and furthering His message and His kingdom, not, not your kingdom. I pray that we would not be a people who are focused on the world and ourselves and this temporary life and temporary matters that will get us nothing, but we are people who will live in abandonment for Christ who will forsake everything for the sake of the Gospel. Even willing to be the minority if that's what it means. So Maybe some of us need to repent today and, and some of us need to repent often of this struggle, don't we? That I, I live too many days in my week for myself and not for Christ. The beauty of repentance though is that Christ is there with open arms to forgive. And the beauty of Christ is that He's near to correct and help and encourage. Maybe some of us, maybe you are right in this thick of this battle where you took a stand for Christ and the outcome was not pleasant and you're enduring 
some difficulty for that stand that you took, I, I pray that you'll be encouraged by that. By these words. Christ knows your difficulty and your hardship. Christ knows the decision you're making. And Christ says, that's still the better decision. The battle, better battle. Maybe today we would be a people who give up at least something of ourselves for the sake of living a life that honors God. Don't be confused by the tempting of the enemy and the lies of the world that says riches and wealth and stuff and happiness is, is where pleasure's at. Listen to the words of Christ. Trust in Jesus and know that you may endure for this time, but a better reality and a better future is waiting. Lord, I pray that You would make us people who are so willing to deny ourselves and follow You, who are willing to lose our lives for Your sake so that we would find it, that we would look at the testimony of the martyrs who were so willing to give themselves for You, Christ, and for Your message and the Gospel and for the right thing. And they endured much suffering and yet saw it as worthy and worth it and better. Oh Lord, You know our hearts even better than we do at times and You know we so definitely struggle with this, that we wrestle with this truth, that we wrestle with these decisions, that we are not perfect, our record is not perfect, we're not always great at denying ourselves and living a life for You. So we ask for Your help to do so. And I pray, Lord, that You would lay something upon our hearts today, something that we should get rid of in life that would help us live for You. Something that's selfish and indulgent that we really don't need and that we would take those energies and that time and those resources and spend them for Your sake. Oh Lord, let us not confuse the blessed life and the life that gets woes. Let us have the right kingdom perspective that You have. Let us know the truth of this passage in our hearts, but also in our daily lives. Thank You, Jesus for shedding light on the truth that we don't have to lead lives that follow the lies of the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.